Hey, I'm Amar Chohan. And I'm Charlotte Williams. Thanks for tuning in to Love, Hate, Create, our podcast about the world of modern advertising. We speak with the smartest people from the industry to find out whether we should be outraged or optimistic about where things are heading. Hello, uh, welcome to today's episode of Love, Hate, Create. Today, our guest is Jonathan Mildenhall. Jonathan, if you don't know him, is the co-founder and chairman of the global brand and marketing consultancy, 21st Century Brand. He started his career uh, on the agency side of things as an account director and then in leadership roles for agencies such as TBWA and Mother, before moving client-side to work with uh, none other than Coca-Cola, before he became the CMO of Airbnb, where the founder, Brian Chesky, was his boss. He sits on the number of uh, the board of a number of companies, including the likes of Peloton and GoFundMe. And Jonathan is uh, particularly passionate about creating positive cultural change through diversity, not just in advertising, but in the workplace and for all. Um, he's the author of a, a book that was published earlier this year called A Colourful View from the Top. And that book is a series of inspirational stories from black and brown executives who are at the top of their game. And he's on a mission to have that book available in every secondary school in the UK. Um, we're really honoured to, to have you on the, on the show today, Jonathan. So welcome and really looking forward to getting into this conversation with you. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you to the listeners for giving us your time. I hope you find the discussion worthwhile. I'm sure they will. Now, before we go into the real um, nuts and bolts of the podcast, I think I'm going to ask you a question that everyone is going to be dying to hear about, um, which is, of course, the re recent acquisition of 21st Century Brand to the collective common interest. Um, can you tell us... A little bit about how and why this came about, Jonathan, why you sold to them, what it means for you and for the business. Yeah, yeah. Um, we set up 21st Century Brand five years ago um, uh, with um, a, a really naive point of view on what it would take to build a company. And when you build a successful company, um, how attractive you might be to um, uh, potential acquirers. And over the last 18 months, I feel very proud of the work that my co-founder, Neil Barry, who is now the CEO of 21st Century Brand and the managing partner, Colin Chow, have done to really build the company and to make the company attractive to outside investment. And um, we've spent the last 18 months in many conversations with many surprising suitors. Uh, and uh, to be honest, I wasn't ever really truly motivated by the two things that are important if you're considering selling your business, and that is, um, uh, is it good people who are interested in the company for the right reasons, and um, are they prepared to make the right kind of investment, not just from a financial perspective, but an ongoing partnership? And um, I met about 10 years ago, Anthony Friedman, uh, whilst he was a, a creative entrepreneur in Australia. Um, since in that time, he's bought and sold um, a number of businesses. Uh, and um, uh, he truly is a creative visionary who is looking to build 
a 21st century holding company that puts a premium on creativity and culture at the center of the ecosystem that he's going to build. And I was very, very taken by his mission. I was very taken by his humanity and I was very taken by his creative record. Um, and I also was very intimidated about being the first acquisition uh, because that means that 21st century brand is literally going to shape the holding company. Yeah. And, you know, I like doing things that haven't been done before. I like being the black sheep in a white family. Uh, uh, I like going against the grain and, you know, uh, being the first acquisition in common interest, it gives everybody in 21st century brand and our clients a much bigger canvas to play. Um, but it also holds everybody at 21st century brand uh, and myself um, uh, accountable for delivering a level of excellence that other creative companies will find attractive uh, as we go about building the ecosystem. Uh, and I, f I just feel incredibly proud of everything that the team has done. Yeah. 21st Century Brand as a consultancy lives on its own without my day-to-day -day involvement. Uh, and the work that we do for clients is um, of such value and is so transformative that I, do, I feel very proud for many reasons. That's amazing. Well, congratulations. And uh, what, what a great uh, timing for us to be able to talk about your career and your kind of um, views and, and feelings about the world that we live in just after you've sold the business in the very sector that we're in. Mm. Um, just before we get into the, the meat of uh, the show, what does the day-to-day -day look like now for 21st Century Brand now that it's part of a, a holding company? Does that change? How does it get better? How How's that going to kind of manifest itself now that you're part of the, the common interest group? Well, it's really interesting because even this morning we had a leadership team meeting, um, a common interest in 21st century brand. And immediately I'm feeling the stretch of um, uh, strategic thinking and creative thinking because the canvas is that much bigger. Uh, and I can't give too much away about, you know, what's on the blocks for the next acquisition of common interest. Um, but it's been stated that, you know, over the course of the next 24 months, we'll be prepared to make up to 10 acquisitions. Uh, and so the strategic conversations we are having as a leadership team about the products and services that brand ambitious clients are looking to um, appoint this moment in time. Of course, it's so much broader than the strategic and design offering that comes from 21st century brand. I mean, things like content and influencers and data and, you know, how you mine culture to create audience segment segments, all of those things that progressive clients are grappling with. We are now having conversations as a leadership team at 21st century brand and common interest uh, to make sure that our evolving offering is ahead of current client expectations and wants and needs yeah okay well we'll be Super definitely exciting. staying tuned to see how things evolve and who else ends up yeah. getting scooped up by by the group now on um, you on to the first question then so we want to know what you love about the yeah. marketing and communications industry but, and as oh, you 
you already know. We we don't want to hear the kind of high level fluff that some people might give us. We want to know stuff based on your kind of deep experiences and kind of personal um, kind of feelings. We, we want to know basically: is there anything that you love more than Whitney Houston in in the yeah. industry, or is that just not possible? <laughs> Tell us. Well, before I had my kids, uh, which was four years ago, I had my my twin likes. Uh, I would have said, no, don't be ridiculous. There's nothing I love more than Whitney Houston. Uh, but now I've got my two little people. Um, uh, Whitney is in um, fourth place uh, after my She's two little relegated. people and my husband. Um, no, seriously, right, what do I so... love about marketing? There's so much to love. Um, and let me just give you a few. Uh, first of all, marketing is by far the most public professional discipline in any company because your work by nature is mostly in public domain. Um, So I love the fact that if you're good and you put good marketing content out in the world, then your career benefits immediately. And if you're bad and you put crappy marketing content out in the world, then shame on you. There's no hiding. So I love the fact that the work is so public, number one. Secondly, I love the responsibility of figuring out the stories that companies need to tell to shift consumer behavior. So it's a storytelling job. Uh, and and I love that because it's inherently creative. Um, I also love the fact that you work with so many types of thinkers. You know, I believe that everybody is inherently creative, but it doesn't matter whether I'm an engineer, a data scientist, a, a, a producer, you know, when you're working in a well-oiled marketing team, you know, everybody has the opportunity to really approach their jobs with as much creativity as they possibly can. And then, so that's what I love about the industry. But what do I really love about marketing for me? Marketing has helped me become a much more intimate human being. And... Uh, I once walked into Wyden Kennedy um, when I was at Airbnb, CMO of Airbnb, and Suzanne Hoffman, who is the um, uh, executive creative director, she's been at Wyden Kennedy forever, and she she said to me, she said, oh, Jonathan, you know what? You're so predictable as a client. Um, It's quite easy figuring out the kind of work that you're going to buy. And honestly, it was like she put a stake through my heart because the last thing I ever wanted to be was predictable. I don't want to be predictable. I want to go against the grain. I enjoy being surprising. And so I was like, okay, well, this doesn't exactly feel like a compliment, but if I'm that predictable, what is it about the work that I buy that, that is predictable? She said, you buy really intimate portraits of humanity. And I was like, she's right. All of my work, moves people emotionally. All of my work that you've seen in anything that came out of Airbnb, Coca-Cola, even the clients I'm advising now, it's their work, it's not my work, but is very intimate. You look into the eyes and the souls of the, the people in the ads, you're moved by the music, you're feeling the intimacy of the brand and the proximity of the brand promise. Uh, and, and I reflect on that all the time, I go, yeah, I want to do my part to make the world an intimate place, to make people feel a deep emotional connection with each other or with the brands that I'm serving. 
uh, and give you goosebumps. Green. That's that's it, isn't it? Well, if I got it, but you, you, know, you know what? We once got a headline. We once got a headline uh, for some work that we did at Airbnb, and it was like, check out the new Is Mankind um, spot from Airbnb. It will give you goosebumps. And that was the headline in the media. And I had that posted all over Airbnb because it was like, all our work has to give the audience goosebumps. And, 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 and you know, we were successful at that. Yeah. I mean, just to your point around like the intense, I guess it, it's such a public role where everything you put out there is in the public sphere. And I know 21st century brand, one of your key pillars and what you talk about a lot is this idea around cultural relevance and, and being a part of culture and having a right to play in culture. Um, it must be with all that scrutiny does can come a lot of criticism and it can misfire right as we've seen a fair bit as we see a fair, fair bit all the time um yeah how does that sit with you because people do you obviously continue to take risks and yeah i mean you know it's harder now honestly mm. through the world of social media and through the world of um accepted hate speech um, uh, than it's ever been. When I did America the Beautiful at Coca-Cola, um, which was an amazing spot that portrayed the ever-changing shape of the American family, and it was the first mm. Super Bowl spot to have same-sex family in the um, Super Bowl spot. Yeah. And we were using America the Beautiful, um, that classic piece of American culture, um, but su sung through different um, uh, uh, languages that were overlaid across the different pictures of the American families. Uh, and I received, there was so much hate that was thrown at the Coca-Cola company and at me directly uh, during that time. And I remember receiving one email, one text, which, uh, uh, one tweet, sorry, which uh, basically read, Mildenhall, you're black, you're gay, you're British, fuck off back to the UK and stop fucking around with the American national anthem. And my response was, I am all of those things, but this is not the American National Anthem, so your intelligence is not anything I need to worry about. <laughs> um, and, and I pushed back, and as yeah. a result of pushing back, then we get a tweet from Vice President Biden at the time saying, um, at Mildenhall, thanks for showing the beauty of the ever-changing American family. We love the work. Uh, and, and, and there wow. you go, you, you know. An anonymous hate tweet versus a public praise for your work from Vice President Biden. You know, every marketer has to yeah. sit. If you're doing courageous work, provocative work, culture-shaping work, every marketer has to have the stamina to sit in the middle of those that will love it and those that will hate it. Yeah, you've got to have the stomach for the volatility, right? So yeah. You're not just creating emotion on the part of the, the viewer or the, the customer. You've got to be able to swing through those emotions as well, as you just explained, yeah. right? Both ends of the spectrum you, you, you've experienced there. Um, and and uh, the, the truth is, marketing that doesn't move people won't attract hate. But marketing that moves people marketing that is shaping culture, marketing that is shaping categories, by its very nature, is going to be suggesting an evolution, a shift, and people get frightened of evolving and shifting. Yeah, 
talking about the the difference between emotional and rational driven marketing communications then i think airbnb were one of the kind of many brands a couple of years ago that ended up rowing back on a lot of the spend on performance marketing and only to realize that actually they were driving exactly the same amount of traffic and converting the same amount of customers when they turned off their google or their facebook or whatever ads they were spending money on where, where, where do you think that the marketers that are continuing to invest in the more performance and rational end of things are, have got it wrong then? No, it, it's really, really interesting. Honestly, if I was, uh, I advise a lot of what we call rising star uh, companies. So these are small startups, not yet gone public. Um, uh, uh, some of them have got critical scale. Some of them are looking for critical scale. Some of them have crossed the chasm from early adopter audiences to mainstream audiences. Um, uh, but when the marketing budget is at its most constrained, its tightest, uh, and when the business is still figuring out its place, I'm a huge advocate for brand-centric PR and performance marketing. I think brand-centric PR, but I really, really mean interesting PR initiatives that are wholly capturing the essence and the purpose of the brand supported by highly targeted performance marketing can actually be the most effective way of spending in those early years. The problem is when then brands start to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on performance marketing, that quickly turns into ever decreasing cycles of return. And I would then, it's at that stage where you go, well, actually, if you start to invest in strategically rigorous brand marketing, you can create a legacy of brand awareness and brand affinity in the hearts and minds of your consumer. And as Airbnb quite often demonstrates, turn off the marketing investment altogether and not see any detriment to business performance. Um, so performance marketing and brand-centric PR in the early years is a really, really efficient approach uh, uh, for marketing resources. But as the business starts to scale, pull back on the performance marketing and lean into legacy-creating brand marketing. Brilliant advice. And also, as with everything, it's not as binary as, you know, as it sometimes seems, right? Because this whole performance versus brand debate is a little bit tiring, isn't it? A little bit. It is a little bit tiring, mm. but here's the truth. Performance marketing on its own has never yet created an iconic brand. But brand marketing on its own creates iconic brands. So so I, I don't want to I don't want to disenfranchise the performance marketers that are listening no. to this because I really believe that there is a role, but I do believe that performance marketing weirdly can become lazy marketing. Uh, and 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 I would just encourage all marketers to be thinking about you know original innovative strategies that are much more integrated because to your point it's rarely either or it's mostly a question of and and it's just where do you put the center of gravity exactly and do we even dare talk about product marketing <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> no just because it did come up a lot at can this year i d didn't it there were a few notable quotes from a few eminent 
um, well, Scott Galloway, um, you know, saying it's it's the end of brand marketing. Can feels like a lifetime ago now, but but I thought that was a, maybe that was just a bit of a grenade to get people talking. But it was an interesting um, point he made. Yeah, and he's a provocateur uh, yes. and somebody that I respect very very much. Um, but he is a provocateur. Here's what I learned at Airbnb. Uh, as a result of a brilliant gift from Brian Chesky, the CEO. Because there was tension between product and marketing at Airbnb after I got there. Uh, and I feel responsible for a lot of t the tension because I'd never worked with product marketers before and they were on my team. And I'd never worked with a product team before. And Brian was seeing this tension between me and the head of product and he pulled us into his office one day and he literally said, product and marketing are part of the same coin, two sides of the same coin. Do you know what that coin is? And the head of product and head of marketing looked at each other and we were like, no idea what you're talking about. And he wrote on a whiteboard, brand. Because he was like, marketing defines brand of Airbnb and product defines brand of Airbnb. And so product and marketing have to work together to create clarity on what this brand stands for. And I thought that was brilliant. And I used that as a way of integrating the product marketing versus brand marketing. It's like, that's actually nonsense. Yeah. Marketing's job is to shine a light on product. Product's job is to carry some of the marketing. And if we do that effectively, we will create an iconic brand. Absolutely, and you did. Um, yeah. Thank you. So we've talked a lot about what you love, unless there's anything else that you love that you want to... Well, what I really love now, the, 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 the final thing that I love, now that I'm not in an operating role, is I love the vantage point that I have on the growth of next generation leaders. I love nothing more than being in a room full of young marketers and having conversations with young marketers about the problems that they're faced with, either the um, personal career development problems or the professional um, uh, problems that they might have on kind of figuring out strategic excellence, creative excellence, marketing tech stack, whatever it might be. Um, uh, and I love that marketers are inherently curious and uh, as a result of that, young marketers give old fossils like me an awful lot of time. Uh, and I love the direct impact that I can have on individual growth. It's, it's, it's a gift. Absolutely. And I'm sure some of it is almost like reverse mentoring, right? Because... <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> honestly, I couldn't do a TikTok video if my life depended on it. And yet we've got a young marketer at 21st Century Brand when we launched the book and she was like, right, okay, I need to do several TikTok videos with you in it. And I was like, oh God, does that mean I have to dance in front of the camera and all of that? And she was like, yeah, suck it up, old man. Uh, and, and I did, and I had an awful lot of fun. So yeah, reverse mentoring exists every day. It's incredible, isn't it? Um, wonderful. No, okay, so now we're gonna move on to a less happy topic. What, what is it you hate? Jonathan, or strongly dislike about marketing, communications, the industry, patterns I, within it? Um, I really hate how 
um, there is this increasing tension between maximizing profit and being a responsible business. 21st century brands positioning as a brand consultancy is where the purposeful growth consultancy. So yes, you come to us when you're looking for uh, to change your trajectory of growth. But no, don't come to us if you feel that purpose and being a good corporate citizen is something that is tedious and distractful. Uh, and, you know, I'm genuinely seeing, you know, we made huge, huge advances with DE&I and ESG over the last three years. And now, sadly, they're being weaponized. Uh, and as a result of that, I feel that some of the courage that the marketing industry must have in order to make sure that its brands stay relevant and salient to today's consumers, I feel that some of the courage at an industry level is has been weakened over the last um, 12 months. Uh, and brands are terrified of being caught in the political crosshairs because the political discord has become so um, uh, toxic. And, and I hate the fact that, that, you know, brands that can build divides and can shape culture in a positive way for everyone um, might now feel cautious and fearful of stepping out with messages about society at large. Um, brands are at their best when they've got the courage to stand for something. Um, uh, but this year, 2023, will go down as the year that a lot of brands got slapped um, for trying to be inclusive, uh, for trying to steer a more healthy um, uh, uh, cultural narrative. Uh, and, and, and that troubles me because a marketing industry that lacks courage is, I believe, a cost center as opposed to an accelerator of growth. Yeah, and we talked a bit at the beginning about the role of the marketer being incredibly public, right? The work is so public and you live and die by the quality uh, of your creative. Uh, and in some cases, if things don't go down well, and the recent Budweiser example is, is a big one, right? The only person in that scenario, although the CEO signed it off and the CFO signed off the bill for the agency, that lost their job would be the CMO, right? So yeah. we're seeing a rollback on purpose. And I think in some respects, that's good because there are lots of brands trying to do purpose-driven work that like are doing it because they're probably, it's a bit of a misstep for them. They think they should be doing it and actually it's not right. But now there's this rollback for brands that really do have the right to, to do it and should do it that are now hesitating. I, I, I completely agree. Um, uh, I, I know the marketer um, that was involved in um, uh, Bud Light. We've had a few conversations uh, since her departure. Um, uh, uh, a more integrity-based, strategically rigorous, creatively thoughtful marketer I haven't, I'm yet to meet. She's wow. really, really, really impressive. And... Uh, 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 the company is less than the um, having a leave. 
um, uh, uh, companies need marketers that are smart and courageous and have conviction. Um, yeah. And what they don't need is um, uh, leadership that um, caves in and placates and erodes the cultural relevance of um, their brands and their businesses. Very well said. And 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 why why then do you think it's increasingly the responsibility of marketers and brands to evoke change then, and and not governments and, and politicians? Um, yeah, it's a fascinating question, Charlotte. Of that, how it can drive these positive gains. It is a fascinating yeah. question. Yeah, because, well, here's the thing. Um, I was born in the sixties, and. In the 60s, people were genuinely respectful of police, education, church. There were many, many things in local communities, rich or poor. I was born on a council estate in Leeds. But there were many things on that council estate in Leeds that kind of helped people make sense of their place and helped keep people kind of in order, feeling safe and feeling protected and feeling you know, a sense of um, kind of structure, social structure. Um, I don't believe that that's the case today. If I was born today in that same council estate in Leeds, I'm not sure that I'd have the same respect for the church or the school or the police force. Um, uh, and so, 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 and I certainly wouldn't have the same respect for local politicians. Um, so where do I go to kind of create structure and milestones um uh in in my life and and brands that are well led with integrity based leaders can fill a void that um traditional um uh sources of trust um uh, uh no longer occupy so you know Brian Chesky when Donald Trump first came into power Brian Chesky's tone of his own social media, um, not Airbnbs, I was very, very clear on keeping Brian Chesky's voice. Yes, he is the founder of Airbnb, but the brand voice of Airbnb, I was very clear on keeping those two separate. But when Brian um, issued a, t a tweet just after um, President Trump was elected to say, we believe in building bridges, not walls, it was one of his most viral tweets because he was going up against policy from President Trump, but in a way that was totally compatible with his beliefs for Airbnb at the risk of disenfranchising some Republican hosts that were on the platform. But the thinking was, if you're a Republican host and you believe in all of this hateful rhetoric, then perhaps there is a home sharing site that is more appropriate for you. But if you're a Republican host and you believe in helping create a world where anyone can belong anywhere and you believe in inclusivity, then perhaps you'll end up having a better experience if you stay on Airbnb. So that's one example of where a leader started to give messages that were more political in intention, but actually reflected positively on the brand. Uh, and, and, you know, Airbnb today is valued at about $85 billion. Um, and it's a great example of where integrity-based leaders 
that are steering the fortunes of purpose-driven brands can continue to navigate this choppy and sometimes um, uh, nerve-wracking um, cultural environment. Yeah, it's tied to the values of the brand in that scenario. So clearly, even even if you might not immediately see that, right? But just as you've explained so so beautifully, it it's everything that the brand stood for, and just so happened to be what Brian was able to articulate in that moment. That's right. Um, moving on to the third and final section, then um, we could talk about each of these for 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 much longer, I'm sure, but. Tell us then, what would you create by way of change in the marketing industry in order to make sure that the the next 10 years for everyone involved is prosperous? Um, you know, I, I just feel that the creative industries, advertising, design, marketing, need to do more to appeal to young um, creators um, at an, a much earlier age, um, this is, it, it's kind of worrying to me what working from home has done to the aspiration of work for children. I mean, my kids see my home office, which I'm in, as daddy's workspace, and they see my laptop as daddy's office. And they literally, they're only four years old and go, daddy's work is boring. That is working really, really. I never want to work, and I don't blame them because I, I don't. I can't take them into the office to see Daddy's work being interesting. I came back from Cannes this year, and I'm waffling a bit, yeah. but I, I, I really Show meant it. Show them your ads, yeah, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> I came back from Cannes this year, and I said to my husband, "From next year, we're going to Cannes as a family, because I want my kids to see." me on stage. I want my kids to see a debate in a panel. I want my kids to see, because I want my kids to go, oh my goodness, the creative industries are more than a laptop. Uh, and and so, so that's just the microcosm of my family. How do I make the work that I do, which is brilliant. I feel so lucky every day that I get to do the work with the interesting people that I get to do. But how can I make that feel exciting and motivating and relevant to the next generation of marketers, advertising execs, content creators. Yeah, I, I do believe that there's gonna be a migration into, well, I wanna be an influencer, or I wanna be an entrepreneur, or I wanna be, and the idea of going to work um, for an existing company in a corporate structure and having very, very little empowerment, that idea will be off-putting to some of the more creative minds that advertising and marketing do have to be successful at recruiting. So, so you know, I want to find different ways of making the industries attractive to teenagers so that mm. teenagers, the best teenagers, would consider themselves uh, suited for a career in marketing or advertising. Rather than content creation, because that's Rather currently... Than, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, you know, the I'm now in a position, fractional career. So, you know, I have 21st century brand. I sit on my boards. I do my nonprofit work. I'm a coach to a number of CMOs, um, uh, and I'm 56 years old. And it's taken me a long time to make sure that my work is serving me. Um, but a lot of young kids out of university are going. I don't want to invest 30 years in a corporate career before I get to the kind of work that I want to do. 
um, uh, a lot of people are like, well, I want to do the side hustle and I want to be an influencer. I want to do it. And that's great. I, believe me, I, 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 I get inspired by the people who have the creativity and the courage to do that. But the marketing industry and the advertising industry have to position themselves as places where young creative people can do some of the best work of their careers. And we're not successful at positioning ourselves in that way. How do you think we can then, besides taking the teenagers out to Cannes and showing them the bright lights? <laughs> yeah, not everybody, not everybody will get to go to Cannes with Daddy. Um, you know, I'd like to see the industry collaborate more on um, content. I do think that TV shows that talk about um, uh, careers in marketing or show the practice of uh, marketing or show the practice of advertising development um, are incredibly powerful. You know, things like Shark Tank have done more mm. to raise the profile of an entrepreneurial career and make yeah. that seem desirable. What's the marketing equivalent of Shark Tank? What's the advertising equivalent of uh, Shark Tank? And these programs, these content platforms where people can truly understand the work can be very, very effective in sh shifting people's perceptions of whether or not an industry is right for them. There was a show once upon a time called The Pitch on a US business channel, maybe. I'll dig it out. I'll send it to you. It was, it was mildly entertaining for someone that worked in the industry. Whether or not I think uh, a 15, 16-year-old would find much value in it, I don't know. But maybe in your spare time, this is something you, you could work on, Jonathan, yeah. right? Creating the, yeah. the, the, the show that gets the new wave of talent into the industry. Make advertising culturally relevant for a new generation of advertising. The workers. ultimate brief. Charlotte, <laughs> yeah. I love that. I know, I, I, I do. I do love that. You know, is the industry when people are saying, "I don't like advertising," they don't like advertising the yes. end product. And Gen Z is the loudest, most vocal generation that has said we don't like advertising, and we're rejecting brands. So if they don't like the end product, they're not going to consider the industry. No. It, 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 it's, it's like so the industry has to do something to a make the advertising more relevant so that they actually like the end product because they might actually like the industry behind it yeah exactly right and also advertising isn't always a 30 second ad but they're probably thinking i don't know i hate these 30 second ads that interrupt my brilliant tv viewing you know that's or actually they don't even watch ads do they let's face it youtube right <laughs> the, well, yeah. what, are these, what are these things what interrupting my, my youtube videos <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah my youtube exactly but yeah it's um yeah the definitions probably need to change somewhat as well yeah um so final final question for you then jonathan thank you so much it's been such a brilliant episode by the way and oh, very entertaining you. um but where do you see the future then for, for for you for 21st century brand for the new collective that you're part of for brand and marketing at large what do you hope well i i i really do believe in the ethos of uh, anthony friedman and common interest because mm. it's pretty simple why don't brands focus on earning a disproportionate share of commerce by earning a disproportionate share of the cultural conversation, the popular cultural conversation. So it's like, let's not waste our money creating ads 
that interrupt, that don't entertain, that don't bleed into culture in some shape or form. Mm. Let's make sure that all of our strategic, creative and financial resources are focused on shaping the popular cultural narrative. That's the thesis for uh, common interests. And I actually think that that should be the thesis for every progressive marketer or advertising exec that's listening to this podcast. It's like we have to do work that continues to resonate when the media dollars have stopped being spent. You know, we've all seen those mega campaigns from um, uh, finance companies and banks or telecoms companies or car companies that are just irritating. They're just noise. It's just like old-fashioned commercial land where the car's driving around a hairpin bend and you just think, did I see that in 1985? And you go, shame on the advertisers because they're just wasting money. But then we've all seen those brands who show up in popular culture and start to shape the cultural narrative and start to do things that are making it better being in out and about. And you go, these are the brands that deserve to win tomorrow. And 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 I and 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 that's what I get excited about: fusing pop culture and commercial success uh, on behalf of a brand. Uh, and a lot of the brands that I have served in the past uh, are very good at that, and a lot of the companies that I serve today. Uh, are very good at that. And I just wish more marketers had the courage and the conviction to do yeah. that. Fantastic. Great note to everyone, end on. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much.